Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. As we know that God, in his justice, will punish everyone who does such things, such things, all those sinful things that he listed in the previous passage. Now, it is likely that Paul is speaking to Jewish believers here. The Jewish believers are condemning, where I'm making an assumption that the Jewish believers have been condemning the Gentile believers who appear to not be living as holy as the Jews would like them to. Right? Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, comes and brings Christianity and salvation to the world. The Jews have grown up with God's law. The Gentiles have not. So the Jews have a leg up on how you're supposed to serve God. And the Gentiles don't know. So when they come to church together, there must have been some of the Jews standing around saying, you shouldn't have worn that to church today, brother. That's what we do, right? My brother in Christ, but you're a sinner and you're going to hell because you parked in my parking spot this morning, right? We come up with whatever reason. So the Jews have an edge on God that the Gentiles don't have, and so they're at a disadvantage. The Jews may be feeling the need to correct the sinful habits of the newly believing Gentiles, Right? Ever felt that way in church? Desert Heights has always had a lot of new believers in our church. Sometimes we have believers that have been in church for a long time and they come to our church and they can't handle that there's people in your church that have tattoos, Brent. (laughs) Obviously, your church is not a Christian church. I had one on Wednesday night. I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed it. And then I went to a preacher's meeting on Thursday, and the first question was, is that real? My feather, got it in Sierra Leone. (laughs) Then it washed off the next day, so it wasn't near as cool. (laughs) Right? There's people that have long hair, short hair. They wear shorts to church. They don't wear shorts to church. We have all these things that, as mature believers, we feel the need to tell the young believers how we're supposed to serve God, brothers. Verse 2 levels the playing field. He says, we know as believers, as believers, as followers of God, as readers of God's word, we know that God in his superior sense of justice. Now I got to pause right here. Do you believe that God is superiorly more just than you? I don't know if superiorly is really a word, but you know what I mean? Do we believe that God's sense of justice is better than yours? Okay, good, good, good. We're all in the place. We know that God, in his superior sense of justice, will punish those who are guilty of sin. We know that. We know that that is true. That's what God does. We just read that in Romans chapter 1. Now, we got to absorb what's happening here. We need to internalize that we know that God is just whenever he punishes those who are guilty of sin. God is fully capable of dealing with those who sin. Wait. Do we believe that? 
God is fully capable and perfectly just in dealing with those who sin. Well, but Brent, if I don't help them with their sin, they'll never know. (laughs) Is God fully capable? Yes. And he will do so with absolute perfect justice. That's why I titled this, This is all about God's justice, not yours. This may be why Christians get labeled hypocrites from time to time. We are adept at pointing out other people's sin and expressing God's disdain for their sin. Uh Uh-oh. And the impending judgment of God upon them. Are those things true? Yes, they are. And we like to make sure that other people know. But we, we point out their sin. We point out uh, God's disdain for their sin. We point out that God is going to judge them for their sin without addressing the fact that God is grieving about our sin equally. Yeah, we publicly judge and condemn other people's sins. Others' people's sin. While we are equally guilty of sin ourselves. We judge and condemn other people's sin while we are equally guilty of sin ourselves. And our propensity to say, well, but Brent, we just read that list of things about those who have suppressed the knowledge of God. (laughs) I, I am not guilty of the same sins as those wicked, terrible, depraved people. Yes, you are, and I'll prove it here in a minute, okay? Of course, we justify our judgment as a warning to those in sin, right? (laughs) We justify our judgment as a warning to those who are in sin, or we call our anger toward the sin of others righteous indignation. That's a big word from the 80s and the 90s where that meant that we could be angry at sin and tell people off about their sin. We could shake our fist at sinners and tell them, God is coming to kill you because you're a horrible, nasty, depraved sinner and you're going to hell. Righteous indignation. It's okay. It's justified. Then we do it again. Then we call it good. There was a period of time in Christian history not too long ago that we considered ourselves as church people, we considered ourselves as holy because we did not do all those sinful things that those wicked people do. The church decided that we were sinless and we are holy and those outside of the church were unholy because they did sin. And it was our job in the holy church to make sure that those outside of the holy church, those who were unholy, knew that we were holy and we were right and that they were unholy and that they were wrong. A whole period of church history in the United States. We called it the holiness movement. We preached about how long your skirt is, whether or not your armpits showed, how long your hair is. Women had to have long hair and men had to have short hair. Uh, It was all things that were uh, extra biblical, but uh, we 
qualified it as we are holy because we're doing it right and other people are, didn't. I don't think that that served any evangelistic purpose whatsoever. I like, I like the way you're looking at me now because I have, that, I have that frustrated, where are you going, Brent? Are you condemning us? Only God, who is just, by the way, that's what the text tells us, only God who is just, the one sinless, holy God, is who has the prerogative of judging or condemning sinners. You okay? Sinners have no position to judge sinners. That is logical. The guilty do not judge the guilty. Are you with me? That's what the text is doing. The guilty do not judge the guilty. You look at the sinners and you say you're a sinner and you're condemning yourself because you're a sinner as well. That's what the text says. We're following to verse 3. I'm only going to make one point this morning. Those are the two points on your bulletin. They're for another time. Maybe one of them we'll get through next week. Verse three, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? It's a super significant question. Are you, with, are you following me? Read the text carefully. Since you judge others for doing these sinful things, is what he's talking about, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you also are doing sinful things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean anything to you? Can't you see that his kindness, God's kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin? Oh, man, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. Incredible verse. It's a big deal. You judge others because you know, follow me, you judge others because you know that sin is wrong. Because you've, been, you've learned that. You've been taught that. And that the consequences of sin is God's judgment. That is true. God's wrath is coming for those who are involved in sin. Yet you live in a relationship with God, assuming that God, are you with me? We live in a relationship with God, assuming that God is not going to judge or pour out his wrath on you for your sinful behaviors. That is what we believe. That is how we live. Why? Why would you assume that God is not going to pour out his wrath against your good-for-nothing, sin-filled self? Why? Because you have heard the good news of Christ Jesus. You believe, while you know that you're a sinner and you know that God judges sin, you know, you believe that Jesus has already bore the wrath of God's judgment of sin against you. The penalty's already been paid. Wrath has already been executed. You believe that God has extended mercy to you. You know that you deserve God's judgment, but God's wonderful mercy, God put, but by God's wonderful mercy, God placed the penalty of your sin on his son, Jesus. You see what happened there? Does God's wrath still get poured out on sin? Yes. 
but mercifully, it misses us. So you and I get to live with no fear of God's wrath. What about sinners in the hands of an angry God? Is he angry at sin? Oh, he's livid at sin. His holiness cannot tolerate sin. That much more we appreciate the work of Jesus Christ on the cross because here's here's the deal. You're never gonna make yourself good enough. So God had to have a mechanism to wash away your sin, to to still keep with his character of justice, to, to pay the penalty. There has to be a penalty for your sin. And he provided the object of that penalty in his son, Jesus Christ, to wash away our sins, to forgive us, to bear our sins. The whole thing is taken care of in Jesus so that we can stand before his throne. Hebrews says we can come boldly before his throne. It doesn't say come fearfully before his throne, but what if you told a white lie, then God's gonna strike you dead and you're not gonna be a part of the kingdom of God anymore. It's not what this text is teaching. Wait a minute, Brent. Romans chapter one told us that God abandons those who reject the truth about him to homosexuality, right? I mean, that was the big grotesque sin that that we like to point out, okay? Now, I hope that you're listening carefully as we go because you're thinking, well, but Brent, I'm not a homosexual, so why would Paul say that you do the same things whenever he just said homosexual? Because homosexuality is not the only sin that he listed, okay? Here we go. Romans chapter one, verse 28, read it three weeks ago. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. We already read that verse. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness. Here we are, every kind of weaknesses, of wickedness. Sin, greed. Do you remember when I read through this three weeks ago? It's like we start off with homosexuality. Go after those people. They're wrong. Go after those that are filled with every kind of wickedness. They're wrong. Go for those. Go after those that are filled with sin. They're wrong. Greed is not as bad. Hate, sometimes it's justified. Envy, well, what if somebody has a nice, I told Diane this week, I saw, I was flipping through Facebook, you know, there's this GMC Duramax, gorgeous truck, blue, like metallic navy, gorgeous, $81,000. So I started counting. (laughs) I could buy, I could buy one tire. (laughs) Somebody has a nicer truck than I do, and sometimes I want envy. Are, are we sure that envy is the sin that when God abandons those who suppress God, that the knowledge of God, that envy is one of those? And man, that murder. I mean, none of us are murderers, hopefully. Um, quarreling, quarreling, really? That's like a characteristic of the church, right? We're going to change the color of the carpet today. No, we're not going to change the color. I want red, I want black. We need purple, <laughs> right? This is royalty. Y'all are not old enough to understand that. Anyways, red for the blood of Jesus. We need white for the purity of the church. We need purple because it's the royalty of murder, quarreling, deception, maliciousness, malicious behavior, gossip. We call that the prayer chain. (laughs) Not our prayer chain, buddy. They are backstabbers, you know? Talk bad about other people behind their back. Not 
haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. What? They disobey their parents? They've been turned over to a reprobate mind because they disobey their parents? Really? That's the standard? They have no mercy. I, I skipped. They refuse to understand, break their promises. Just being a promise breaker? And they're heartless and they have no mercy. Verse 32, they know God's justice. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. That is common across the board. If you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, you know that God's justice demands that if you do these things, you deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do that. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit brilliantly puts every single one of us into the same sin-filled, rebellious, depraved, and guilty position in relation to God. All of us. You condemn the sinners, but you're a sinner too. It doesn't matter if you're guilty of breaking one, or sinning one sin of one sin or, or the entire list of sinners. We are all sinners. Paul's going to affirm that later on. We, we use the Romans road, Right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, but not, I mean, not me, really. I mean, that's just for other people. Those are, it's all that list of people in chapter one who are homosexuals and murderers and all those horrible people, not those that tell a white lie every once in a while and like to just argue about everything. Not those people. Not those. Do you see what we're doing? God puts all of humanity in this one lump. It doesn't matter if you're guilty of one sin or the entire list of sins. Now, Brent, I'm not convinced that I'm a sinner yet. The Apostle Paul, John told a story. I need to be done right now. The Apostle John tells a story about Jesus. This really happened in John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early in the next morning, he went back to the temple. Okay, so keep picture this. Jesus goes to the temple. That's where all the really smart church people are watching over the church, okay? A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, can you picture them? They're the guys who are wearing white, purple, and blue. I'm gonna say that sarcastically, okay? As, they were, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of filthy, nasty, sexual adultery. Oh my goodness, in the temple, they brought this sinner into the God's house. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, the very act of adultery. We saw her. Love Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down. So these men come to accuse and they're all fired up and Jesus is brilliant. He de-escalates the situation. He's like, you guys are all amped up. I'm gonna sit down on the ground and I'm gonna draw. Now, there's lots of speculation about what Jesus wrote in the dirt. It makes no difference. He de-escalated the situation masterfully. So he stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. I think he was drawing pictures. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he was making a shopping list. It doesn't matter. They kept demanding an answer. Tell us, tell us. So he stood up again and he said, all right, all right. But let the one who has never sinned, let the one of you self-righteous men 
who have never sinned, let the one of you who have never sinned, what? Throw the first stone. We know this story. We don't believe this story, but we know this story. Then he stood, uh, he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust again. He was finishing his list. Oranges, apples. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Now, I think that that's an interesting thing that John included because the oldest were the wisest guys. They're the guys with lots of gray in their beard. They're like, oh, only God is holy and just and can judge the sinner. I know what I've been doing, so I'm probably going to sneak out the back and hopefully nobody notices. Left all the young guys, arrogant guys, standing at the front saying, well, well maybe, I don't know, you know, yeah, maybe, I don't know, I think I probably need to leave. You follow? Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Listen to those words, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? These were the religious elite, and they left when Jesus said, let the man with no sin cast the first stone. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Jesus said to this adulterous woman who was just caught in adultery, she, he said, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Well, then, Britt, who's going to tell her she's a sinner? She needs to come to our church where we'll, we preach against things like that. Who's going to let her know that she's not in a right relationship with God? Who's going to condemn her and tell her that God's wrath is coming to drag her soul to hell? Jesus says, go and sin no more. So who accuses the sinner? The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Are you with me? Who accused the sinner in this story? The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Who was qualified to carry out the sinner's punishment? Oh, there's only one man in this story who is qualified to carry out this woman's punishment. Only one man. Jesus was the only one who was not guilty of sin. And what did he say? I don't condemn you either. Her sin deserved punishment. That's, the story is not saying she doesn't deserve punishment. Other people's sin deserves punishment. We're not changing that fundamental part of our theology. Our sin deserves punishment. But Jesus comes along and he says, where is your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Isn't there anybody from your church that would just shake their finger in your face and call you a sinner? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. She says, go and sin no more. Listen carefully. God is wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient with you. Many days, we are the adulterous woman. You understand what I'm saying? I mean it in a metaphorical sense. We're the ones that have sinned and we feel like the world is condemning us. Some days, 
we are the religious elite where we stand condemning those sinners less than us. But every day, we are guilty. You okay? Every day we're guilty. So not one of us has a stone to throw. Not one of us. We have been shown mercy. So we've been shown mercy by, from God because of our sins. So our desire is to gratefully obey the God who is the giver of kindness and tolerance and patience. Church, all we have is the good news of Jesus who came and paid the penalty for our sins so that everyone who believes in him can be forgiven and be shown kindness. Did you see what we did there? All we have is the good news of Jesus Christ. The story that Jesus came and in his sinlessness bore the penalty for all of our sins so that everyone who believes in him can be forgiven of their sins, not bear that judgment, and be shown kindness. All we have is the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't have a big, heavy Bible to beat people over the head with. John 3, 17, we like John 3, 16. We kind of skip the, the next verse. God sent his son into the world not to, anybody? Judge the world, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why do we take it upon ourselves? If Jesus doesn't judge, did you hear what I said? If Jesus doesn't judge, then why do we conclude that our judgment of sinners, sinners like us, is going to somehow bring them to salvation? Paul says, I'm eager to preach the good news to you in chapter 1, verse 16. Why? Because, verse 17, it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. Judgment does not save. The gospel message is the power of God to save. I like the anxiety here. I feel the tension. Jesus, the son of the living God, living a sinless life, dying on the cross in our place and rising from the dead, that saves. Salvation is an act of God's mercy. When judgment, when judgment was just, Jesus bore the penalty so that sinners can be forgiven instead of judged. Are you okay? Jesus bore the penalty so that sinners can be forgiven instead of judged. That includes you and I. Now the application, I'm quitting here very quickly. We still are going to have communion together. The application is in the text. I'll go quickly. Through Jesus, God is kind to you and I, to us, when we deserve his judgment. God's kindness turns us from sin to obedience to him. When God is kind to us, we want to reciprocate with obedience and honor. Does that make sense? 
Whenever we're good to our kids and we honor our kids and we discipline them in an honoring way, they're more likely to respond respectfully than whenever we bring all hell down on top of our teenagers and then they bow back up at us. (laughs) What are we expecting? You berate them that they're just gonna be like, I'll never berate you. They're gonna turn right around and do the same thing. If you escalate, they're gonna escalate. Are you you understanding? God shows us mercy. He shows us honor that we do not deserve. And so then there's something in our heart that says, you know what? I wanna serve God. I wanna honor God. I wanna live for his glory. Similarly, because of Christ in us, our kindness, our kindness, our mercy, our tolerance and patience towards those who sin draws them toward Christ. Church, it does no good for us to judge and condemn those who do not believe. That's what the text is telling us. It does us no good to judge and condemn those who do not believe. But the good news of Jesus Christ is still the power of God for salvation, even for other sinners just like us. Judgment gets us nothing. The good news of Jesus Christ gets us to salvation. What should we be promoting? The good news of Jesus Christ. Well, somebody's got to tell them they're a sinner. You know what? The Holy Spirit speaks to their heart. And if I remember right, Romans 8, 1 is going to tell us, therefore, after all of Paul's argument, he's going to say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.